the Jesse James. Jesse, a.k.a. The Bizzle. Oh, The Bizzle, thank you. <laughs> the Bizzle? Thank you, The Bizzle. Yeah. The Bizzle. All right, ladies and gentlemen of The Bizzle cast, welcome to a podcast, a solo podcast, uh, um, indeed, uh, that if you follow me online um, and all listen to The Bizzle cast at all, I'm friends with me or even just know me a little bit, might be surprised that I am doing a review for the final episode ever, uh, as far as we know, of Game of Thrones, Season 8, Episode 6. Um, and you might also be very surprised about my reaction uh, to the conclusion, uh, given how critical I have been about it over the years. Now, I, I am a very non-traditional uh, person when it comes to Game of Thrones. I need to explain a little bit my personal history of being uh, uh, really on the boat, and then sort of on the boat, then way off the boat, but then still following it and loving the actors and so forth. So I'm going to do a couple minutes, just personal history about Game of Thrones, because I was there day one, um, even though I hadn't read the books. Um, I knew enough about them in the big HBO production. I was there day one and loved season one. And for the most part, liked season two. And then and then things got a little sideways for me. So if you know me well as a friend or as a Bizzlecast listener and you've heard this before, um, you can jump to uh, the actual review of this episode. I will put the time code on. Um, also hope you really enjoyed that amazing Iraq, uh, God bless Iraq, metal cover of Game of Thrones themes. He's been doing amazing cover of TV and movie themes, um, uh, big and small, famous and less famous, old and new for a long time. Um, and so go ahead and support him on Patreon and YouTube. It's spectacular covers with, with the uh, with the hard rock guitar and then just filthy solos um, and so forth. I might even put some on the background um, while I'm doing this. So here is my story about Game of Thrones. So, you know, uh, the Bizzle is a ginormous fan of fantasy. My two favorite uh, series ever are genre series. It's Lord of the Rings and, of course, the Dune series. Um, uh, and while I love Lord of the Rings beginning to end, and I mostly love the Lord of the Rings movies beginning to end, uh, Dune books are very inconsistent, and I'm not sure what another attempt with the movie next year is going to result in. Nevertheless, in terms of fantasy adventure magic, mystery, old cultures, myth, all that stuff that Tolkien worked in, um, into the Lord of the Rings. Uh, it just complements perfectly the high philosophy, political machinations, um, and political maneuvering and backstabbing that goes on in Dune in the houses of Dune. And even though it's tens of thousands of years in the future, is very reminiscent of Game of Thrones. I won't go into an extensive discussion here. I've talked a lot about the, the blatant influence of the Desert Messiah and so forth on Star Wars from Dune. Um, but the political jostling, um, you know, Dune isn't a whole lot of lasers and spaceships. It's mostly political jostling um, and culture clashes, which lead to civilizational clashes and changing uh, the guard of the, uh, of, of the universe, uh, so to speak. And the house, and they even call them houses, and they, you know, like the, the main good guy's house, the Atreides, uh, operates like the Starks, the bad guys, Harkonnens are very much like the Lannisters. Um, that'll have to be for another podcast. So, back in, I don't know, 2010 or whenever they announced Game of Thrones, I was like, I'm in. I know this is going to be dark, you know, there's going to be boobies, and there's going to be blood, and it's going to be gratuitous at times, because that's what HBO 
AEW does with these kinds of shows um, sometimes or often. Um, but I, even though I did not know actors like Richard Madden and Amelia Clark, I did know Peter Dinklage. I definitely knew Lena Headey, who played Sarah Connor on the amazing Sarah Connor Chronicles I'm always talking about. And I knew she was going to be the evil queen. I could not have imagined how evil she would indeed be. Um, and Sean Bean, who I love. And... You know, now this, there's a whole genre around Game of Thrones. Like Game of Thrones did not start, um, but the term grimdark, when it comes to fantasy, grimdark fantasy, it perfectly describes the uber dark vision of fantasy where there's few, if any, real good guys, and it's just bad stuff after bad stuff after bad stuff, but there's still dragons and swords and fights and so forth. Uh, there's a million series like that, uh, that that came before it. Game of Thrones is, you know, the culmination of it, and now there's been a lot of attempts since then, some of which are okay some of which are less good um i don't personally love the books and didn't get very far after the first book of game of thrones because his writing martin's writing is kind of slow and you know ultimately after a couple really good seasons of game of thrones um especially with the killing and and or scattering of all my favorite stark characters and then eventual killing of even more of the stark characters um although a couple survived this will be a po- uh, spoiler podcast uh, I, I stopped having people to root for and even in really dark fantasy like Tolkien's Darkest Moments or Raymond D. Feist's Rift War, you need to have a couple nobles who, you know, might skirt the edges of what's moral and ethical at times, but ultimately is trying to help people um, even against great odds, especially against great odds. And with the scattering of the Starks and the moving to the forefront, both in the power structure and the show Game of Thrones, um, but also in terms of how much screen time they gave to the bad guys of various types and levels of bad guys who had various levels of control, some of which were illusory, some of which they actually had more power than it seemed at the time. So that stuff's all interesting, but with the slow pace, uh, you know, punctuated by really gratuitous sex nudity and, you know, over-the-top violence, um, you know, at least in Logan, it fits really well with Wolverine's character for going back decades, and, you know, there's a reason because of how Wolverine uses his weapons and what he's fighting for and so forth, and, you know, I mean, there's a genre thing when it comes to, like, Kill Bill and Logan in the movies on TV, you got to be really careful about it. A little bit goes a long way, and a lot of bit goes a little way, I guess I should say. Um, and then I stuck with it through three, and then the Red Wedding happened. If you're listening to this, you know what the Red Wedding is, and... You know, with Arya scattered and being tormented in her own ways, and Sansa being a slave who was raped and manipulated with zero agency, and was just crying and miserable. You know, the, 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 the remainder of the Northern armies with Rob Stark and his mom, and then just to murder them so brutally to get a reaction. That's when I was out on the series, and I ended up watching through three because I wanted to see the giant fight at King's Landing in the I don't know maybe second to the last episode of three. If I remember correctly, um, and that was cool. Uh, b- but other than Tyrion Lannister, you know, Daenerys never—you could never totally get behind. She was cool and badass, um, but she always had that twink- that dark twinkle in her eye, like she's just murderous. Uh, after what she went through with her mad father, the former king, her insane sort of rapey brother that Jason Momoa killed, and then Jason Momoa's character dies, and she has to lead the Dothraki, and the combination 
element of coming from a very foiled line. Um, it's not unlike the Skywalkers, actually. You, you know, uh, you know, in Star Wars, we talk about how you know three generations Skywalkers. You have Anakin Skywalker, who was an okay dude, and then became one of the worst bad guys ever. Darth Vader. You have Luke, um, who who mostly managed to survive it. Almost goes dark at the end of Return of the Jedi. Ultimately, throws his weapon down, redeems Vader, blah blah blah, saves the galaxy. But then he goes into hiding, fails in training a bunch of people, including Kylo Ren, and then you know he thinks he's such a failure Luke that is that he goes kind of nuts though and that's the journey in, in Last Jedi that some people like some people don't like I happen to like it and it makes sense but then you have Kylo as the third generation Skywalker through Leia and he's you know, I mean, it depends what kind of fan you are and how you interpret characters. Kylo is potentially worse already than Vader. Um, I think he has a, a higher level of badness to come or that could come than Vader. I don't know up to this point. We just don't know enough about Kylo's history before Force Awakens. And in general, if he's committed as many world level genocides as, as we know Vader has as, uh, especially from the comics and other materials now we're getting more materials and I'll try not to keep breaking too much Star Wars then you guys know I love Star Wars but the, the Dave, Dave Benioff and D.B. Weiss you know who have done Game of Thrones beginning to end with the author George R. R. Martin are you know now doing multiple giant movies for, for Star Wars and one of the things I'll talk about when I get to the finale review was that it was so much more uplifting than I thought any Game of Thrones episode would be it had a relatively happy ending considering everything leading up to it um and that reminded me of the the the, you know the rogue one approach of star wars which is you know dark 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 things going horribly and then they kick you in the balls and then they kick you in the balls again as a watcher but eventually even if most or everyone dies in a certain mission or 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 time in history there's still hope the spark of hope and the spark of rebellion the spark of change um which we see at the end of the finale um with sansa um taking control of North Independent, as it should be in Starkland, um, in Winterfell, uh, in uh, their brother Bran, who's the oldest living, uh, you know, Stark male, um, and pretty wise, uh, who had been a cripple since a kid from the very first episode of Game of Thrones, when uh, uh, when uh, Cersei. Um, uh, lover, her brother, uh, Jamie Lannister throws Bran off the side because he sees them having sex. That's, you know, I should have noted the first episode of Game of Thrones, you know, with siblings fucking and then throwing a kid off the side, what was going to happen. But I stuck with it, like I said, for three seasons. Now, after that third season, I was done. I was really getting into Vikings, which I'm not going to say is a superior show. It certainly was not as watched. It did have a very high budget, but it won't go down nearly as classic as Game of Thrones. Um, uh, it, especially because there are huge time jumps in Vikings. And so you can divide the show into sort of two or three eras. I really like the first era, which is seasons, you know, one through three or four, then got off, you know, Homeland. I love the Brody saga, the first three seasons, then got off of that. Breaking Bad's really the only one I've made it through five full seasons. Battlestar, you know, there was four, but it was hard even to get through the fourth. And that's one of my favorite shows. Um, and so it's not, it's not only Game of Thrones fault per se that I, I left after three seasons. And I dabbled in some four, and I would go in and four out, five and out. But I love reading all the lore, and I talk to tons of people, and I follow everyone's posts. But most of all, guys, I've read you know probably close to a hundred fantasy books from young adult fantasy. But I was also reading Lord of the Rings, and I was like a young kid. I've read it like five times. But I do like the darker fantasy, but I also like the sort of more heroic fantasy. You know, the, the Luke Skywalker st- style origin story where things are dark and people die, and good guys die a lot. 
um, and they have to kill people that some are bad guys, but they still have to kill them, and some maybe aren't the worst bad guys, but they still have to kill them. There's lots of moral complexities going on um, in, in fantasy books without it being truly all-out grim dark like Game of Thrones. And so I started preaching... So, so you know, season four or five, where I got off the wagon, as I was talking about, um, um, and here I'll jump into the review, um, uh, was right around the time I started the Bizzlecast, and I was all MCU'd up. I loved Captain America the Winter Soldier, started my podcast a year later in May of 2015 with a huge Age of Ultron coverage. If you, again, if you know me at all, you know the Bizzle loves Avengers Age of Ultron. It's way higher on my list than really anyone I've seen. I mean, I have Avengers one and Captain America Winter Soldier sort of almost tied at the top Avengers gets the edge just because of level of difficulty and level of importance cap right under that but I have Avengers 2 just in terms of watchability writing action and so forth at 3 um and uh but then even on top of that the uh, you know with black panther coming which i predicted would be huge and was and i was excited for and more cat movies and bucky and black panther you know and sam wilson and, and natasha and all team cap you know i was all team capped up but then two things happened and i've talked about this in another podcast so i won't go too long but around the time the force awakens came out at the end of 2015 leading to rogue one which you know knocked me you know to the other side of the galaxy with happiness joy and lack and just astonishment with how much i could love a new star wars movie like rogue one and that period between end of 2015 and end of 2016 i started getting a little tired with ant-man i didn't really like dr strange guardians 2 and thor ragnarok in 2017 i wasn't crazy about and the the, the you know well and then i saw the last jedi at the end of 2017 and i loved it at first now i just kind of like it with some problems but that was a lot about the star wars fan base coming together i still put that much higher than almost any blockbuster movie out there the solo movie a year ago you know I, the hardcore old school fans like myself like a lot it's not as high in my list as some people um but the bottom line is between being interested enough in the avengers and captain america movies if not all the properties mixed with my deep diving back at the star wars which was my true love from childhood as much as i love growing up with marvel comics you know there was two there was two things more important than marvel comics growing up and that was um uh star wars and it was especially in terms of the amount of time and also the length going from like age six to you know towards the end of graduation of high school and still today my love of fantasy now with audiobooks i can even discover so many more works than i normally would be able to and i just read all sorts of authors and you know i'm cool with you know really well written um uh teen fantasy even if it's for girls um like uh the crown of midnight series throne of glass by by sarah haas i think her name is um you know or even the original hunger games book which i'm listening to tatiana maslany read right now but also super heady fantasy and sci-fi as well yes the problem with science fiction is it's really better on screen because you know with star trek star wars um guardians but also like doctor who in those shows you do so much less exposition because you're just watching it science fiction authors feel like they have to describe so much of the science fiction environment and it can be exhausting um 
uh, and so I end up coming back to fantasy because science fiction is about technology. It's about plot. It's about big philosophical ideas, which I do love. But I tend to love that more in the movies like Blade Runner, The Matrix movies, um, Ghost in the Shell, and Ex Machina and so forth. Whereas fantasy, there just isn't that much. I wasn't a Harry Potter guy. I love Lord of the Rings. I love the Lord of the Rings movies way more than I expected. Um, and while in between the prequels and the new Star Wars movies, we got Battlestar Galactica, Firefly, The Expanse, and some other cool sci-fi shows. Um, definitely lots of movies with the Star Trek reboots. Again, Ex Machina, Her, AI stuff, and so forth. Still not a lot of, of good fantasy. Like, even a little good fantasy. So that brings me to Game of Thrones. So, okay. I watched three seasons, a little bit of four, a little bit of five. I checked in occasionally six, seven, but I, I was following the culture, reading the articles, talking to people, getting some of the lore, and you know, also over the time, um, I learned to love Peter Dinklage even way more with his performances in Marvel and X-Men and other movies. Amelia Clark, you know, I've been, you know, from the moment she's on the, the screen, I know she's like naked or half naked in the first episode, which looking back is still problematic with her brother kind of molesting her mentally and physically uh, in the first episode with Khaleesi before she's Khaleesi. Um, but I loved her performance and, you know, she was amazing as Sarah Connor and <laughs> Terminator Genesis. You can fight me. That movie's entertaining with great special effects, but just because she's an amazing Sarah Connor and it's so funny that Lena Headey as Sarah Connor on TV the Sarah Connor Chronicles would then be Cersei and then Amelia Clark of course who's Khaleesi was also an amazing uh, Sarah Connor in Terminator Genesis that they stupidly were crass and she absolutely killed it in Solo the biggest problem is Kira should have had more screen time in Solo and as much as the relationship with Chewie and Lando was important for fan service and lore reasons they really should have made Amelia a a co-lead with uh, Han and Chewie and but especially in the marketing materials they just didn't push hard enough how important and great that she would be and I remember at the time talking with Simi after we saw the movie and then we did the commentary that I felt like she was channeling Major Khaleesi um, in terms of she had power but she wasn't always the one with the most power. Now, with Khaleesi, with dragons in the army, you know, she normally had the most power, even though people could still get to her, almost get to her with poisons and assassinations and so forth. Um, whereas Kira, um, the character of Kira in the solo movie, you know, was beholden to a pretty creepy, probably rapey Paul Bettany's character, uh, Voss, um, but she got her revenge, and not only that, but took over a criminal underworld, spoiler working for Darth Maul, and being very unafraid. The difference is, in, in Solo, you kind of know from the beginning when they get split up, come back together, and then you see the psychopath she's working for, and she's tattooed, and she's kind of his slave. You kind of feel like Han is just going to delude himself, and she's going to go along with it, because they need this mission, and then ultimately she's going to betray him. Um, and all of of that does happen but what makes Solo great and, and, and I love Amelia Clark for it and the writing as well and direction um, by Ron Howard is that throughout the movie she's genuinely impressed and made happy bordering on on brief joy at what a great guy Han is and she's already convinced herself maybe truthfully or may, maybe just in her head that she could never have that life again she's too damaged she's done horrible things as we keep being told but we don't know what those horrible things are but you can fill in the blank in a Disney movie some of them are our Game of Thrones and so while she did channel Khaleesi as Kira ultimately you know Kira is, is sort of amoral looking out for her 
herself, trying to get out of her horrible situation. She's not going to run away with Hans. She's already made that decision before, you know, after the first 20 minutes of the movie with the time jump. Um, But she's not, you know, like psychopathically driven to take back her kingdom. And, you know, if you watch the first season of Game of Thrones, and again, I don't want to be the hipster guy here, but I was the guy who watched season one and two um, of Game of Thrones, the first night live viewing every single time and rewatched and rewatched and rewatched season one and two. I've probably seen season one three times. I've probably seen season two, two and change. Um, uh, and if you look at all the signs in the beginning, you can see the arc and course of the characters. And I will give it to the double D's, Weiss and Benioff for having that vision. The biggest problem is they, it should have been a five season series, um, as opposed to spreading seasons four and five over four, five, six, seven, and eight. Um, both in terms of momentum and just in terms of telling a story. Um, you know, I would have had, and I thought what was going to happen <clears throat> after the Red Wedding, in the battle at, at King's Landing, which was very destructive and killed a lot of people um, and changed the politics. That was going to be the time after three years of having her, you know, on an island, like arrow style, just like stuck on an island with the Dothraki. That would be the time to invade. And then I would have had season four be a multi uh, pronged war between the Starks, uh, the, um, t- the, um, the Targaryens and Daenerys, the Lannisters, obviously, the Greyjoys, all the houses just going at it. And then ends up with a similar result of final players where you had some representatives of House Stark. Jon Snow, obviously, he's an exception. You guys know all about that. Um, but with Arya and Sansa still very much involved, um, I, I felt like Arya for sure was going to survive Sansa. I, I, you know, with all the raping and stuff, I didn't know what would happen. I hope she would. So, Turner is a great actress. And if nothing else, I'm pumped to see her be corrupted and used my evil Jessica Chastain in X-Men Dark Phoenix. I'm an X-Men guy, you guys. I just have to live with it. Um, but, you know, people were saying that, uh, you know, they, they've always thought Daenerys had a crazy look, you know, look in her eye and there was something going on behind the, those eyes. And even again, just watching the first three seasons and following and studying on and off as it goes, I, it totally makes sense. And to get to the, the review tonight, the only thing that surprised me about Jon Snow kissing her while kissing killing her. I'm going to get back to my Star Wars prediction along these exact lines. Uh, the only thing that surprised me was how early it happened and what they decided to do, like with the King's Landing. People forget the Battle of King's Landing was, the, I believe, the second to last episode of Season 3, uh, as momentous and epic as it was, uh, whereas um, uh, the final episode was sort of cleanup duty and preparing Season 4. Now there's no cleanup duty because the series is over, but they basically did the second to last episode, which I haven't seen more than some clips from where Daenerys goes nuts and kills everybody. Everyone was sort of already predicting that Jon Snow would have to kill her. Peter Dinklage delivered a spectacular beginning to end performance, um, inner emotional journey, torment, self-hatred, and uh, pushing Jon Snow to kill her. Jon Snow knows he has to do it. You know, he may be a bastard. He may have done nothing right in his life. There's no place for him. He ends up going back to the wall away from his family is so sad but he did that one act what surprised me was how early it happened and they ended up like with avengers endgame going return of the king with a long postscript but um 
first uh, i'm gonna finish with the postscript and maybe i'll revisit this i love this episode i also was looking for any hope of double the double d's who are now going to star wars being a little bit more optimistic despite horribleness um to do their dark star wars movies because you can't have tons of rape and murder that goes un you know unrevenged unavenged or so forth um uh, like you know even if you hint at a rape like with amelia clark's character kira um, who who's clearly had been molested, if not full on raped. I mean, you know, I don't I don't want to go into definitions here, but she was not in control of that relationship. Obviously, and he he treated her like like a little girl to do whatever he wants with, and you knew she was going to get her revenge. And you know, me being a Star Wars fan, I'm just like kill him, kill him, kill him, kill him. And so it was thrilling, you know, when she got to kill him and send Han on, on his way as her sort of last good act. And maybe we'll see her pop up because we're going to see Maul to see Jermandalore. And we know he, you know, he's doing a lot of stuff between that fight with Ahsoka and then his ultimate death in Star Wars Rebels for the second final time with Obi-Wan Kenobi. So I love the long shots of Peter Dinklage just seeing the destruction and the madness and the chaos and Arya also experiencing that. Sana's very cold, understandably, what she's gone through, and all she she put into was demanding that she would be the queen of Winterfell and they would be independent. And once she got that, she was okay. And since her brother's on the throne, it's gonna it's gonna work out just fine. And Arya, I love almost like Floki style from Vikings. Arya just going off like a pirate to discover other lands because she's so smart, but she's so damaged and she doesn't want anything to do with the ruins of these civilizations. And her sister will will fix Winterfell and her brother who's very wise who had grown wise in his cripplingness and prophetic visions and so forth over the years have that well in hand and the the, the dragon what, what, what I love is you know ha- having missed a lot of these episodes the fact that as uh, Jon Snow was going to Daenerys seemingly to talk with her and maybe smooch with her and then ultimately murder her uh, while smooching her. Um, a side note, I've been making the prediction now for probably six to eight months that because the Star Wars fan base is so divided over Kylo Ren, you've got the people on the one hand who's like, he killed Han Solo, almost killed his mom, killed tons of people. You know, he mind raped Ray. He's doing terrible things. He needs to be killed immediately. And then you've got the Raylo shippers and a lot of women who love Adam Driver and Kylo Ren and like a complicated relationship between the two. I've been trying to bridge it in the middle because I see both sides. Uh, my my, uh, my motto has been Raylo no Bendo because there's Raylo, but there's also Bendemption. And so when I say Raylo no Bendo, I'm cool with a brief dark love story or even a kiss um, with, with, with Ray and Kylo, but he can't be redeemed. And my prediction has been f- for a while now that the only way to resolve this, where we get a little romance, but we also get the killing of, of Kylo Ren, is that Ray will not want to kill Kylo, even if she learns more horrible things about her, because Ray is Ray and she doesn't like to murder people, especially people she thinks she can save. And that's where the whole Raylo thing comes from. In, in in um uh, uh with Kylo Ren, but I think with the Emperor coming back and e- even more evil stuff happening, you know Kylo will briefly save Rey and maybe her people. But I think he's going to be so tormented in the end that he's going to beg her to kill him, and she's not going to want to because she's Rey. But he's so tormented and full of self hatred. He's like, please, there's no place for me. Like, just kill me. Like, just get it over. Like the demons in my head. Like almost Gollum style. 
um, or how Frodo never even really recovered from the ring, and that's why he had to sail off with the elves, you know, into to a, a better world. Um, and and so while the main comparison about my my Ray Kylo prediction is um, with Jean Grey, the only good part of X Men X Three X Men Last Stand is when Jean Grey is aware that she's going total Phoenix and can't control it, and she's going to kill everybody, and she begs Logan, who's in love with her, to kill her and he claws her and murders her while crying and saying i love you i love you and they keep bringing back that vision in the wolverine and x-men movies over and over again because he's so tormented by it that's just sort of the reverse uh, gender wise what i see with kylo and ray um but you know it was certainly daenerys had a very big look of surprise she really was kissing Jon snow passionately um she had just been totally lost and i I think it was a cool twist that the dragon as i was saying with the amazing side scrolling shot with the giant dragon who just looked uh, by the way the dragons burning down the the iron throne was was cool as a little campy but it was cool to see the full fire display but the dragons from a distance and how big they are and the, and the dragon just looked at Jon Snow and, and dragons are known throughout fantasy not just being super powerful but being able to read humans emotions not necessarily telepathic powers but being deep old spirits just have a sense of things and if you didn't think the dragon knew that Jon Snow was going to do what he did and let him go, it was confirmed afterwards by taking no retribution, destroying the Iron Throne so no one could have it, and then flying away to God knows where, you know, just like with the elves across the sea with the dead body of Daenerys. And then it was aftermath, and all of a sudden, everyone's left is mostly a good guy. I mean... The Lannisters are dead, other than Dinklage. He tries to get out of his duty. And in a very Raymond E. Feist move, who I'm always talking about, because he has amazing good guy uh, lords and ladies and knights who are all, you know, troubled or flawed. But in the end, you're really rooting for them because there's some horrible bad guys both on their side, um, you know, of, of, of the wars and, of course, the people that they're fighting on the other side. And you often see these young nobles like Prince Arutha, who's, you know, the, the best and one of the main characters that we see go from an 18 year old amazing fighter um, who's who's a, a prince, a distant prince to the throne, who ends up becoming um, a full prince and second in command to his brother the king due to circumstances and he's the best sword fighter and he, he lives a long time through many books and many series and then goes down as a legend. Prince Arutha is like my rapper name and one of my favorite fantasy characters but you know ultimately they have to constantly uh almost beg the elders to to stay during there's so many periods of of horribleness after these huge wars whether it's against the dark elves or the tsurani who are these sort of japanese samurai aliens who, who come through a rift from another planet um to, to fight them and then the multiple demon wars i mean the land of midkimia in feist's rift war series which is the main the main area the kingdom of the isles constantly in turmoil and then when it's stops you hopefully have good kings and princes um and uh, but they you know 
like the very sword masters and priests and wizards you know who are their old school teachers and who will openly you know box their ears as they say even in court because there's you know they've known these kids since they were you know pooping on themselves like since they were born and that's exactly why they need those guys to stay and they're always complaining these veteran warriors and advisors it was very reminiscent of that where Bran was just like I I don't care how miserable you are Tyrion there's no way you're not my hand like get used to it and I absolutely love the final scene of Tyrion in the council and you compare it to the original council with Varys and Littlefinger and all the horrible sketchy um, you know mysterious usually in the negative way characters in the initial council that conspired to kill Sean Bean and the Starks and install Joffrey and, and then their own plans and, and whatever you've seen the series but this ragtag group of like pretty good people who are knights and like minor nobles but who have been serving the right side whoever wherever they've been uh, or trying to serve the right cause and they're making jokes about how awkward it is and they don't know how to talk to the king properly because th- most of them are like field generals and you know and agents and not used to the bureaucracy and you know as they finish the first meeting where they accomplish nothing other than who sits where and what chair and, and Bran, who's crippled, is, you know, wheeled off. Dinklage, uh, you know, half jokingly, half seriously says to the king, like, I promise this is going to get better, like less awkward and more productive. And with a big smile, Bran, who's super wise and, and, and just, you know, you can tell how zen he is and the perfect guy to do it because of all the crap he's been through, being a Stark, uh, uncorruptible, but also having visions and prophecies, um, which maybe will come up if I ever do the Dune podcast or just a giant prophecy podcast and so the, the, the other than and even though they ban, had to banish Jon Snow because he was too because um, of his mixed lineage and he was too controversial they had to ban him back to the the the, the wall uh, the Night's Watch and never take a woman and so forth it's, it's so depressing we did get the moment of him and Arya and Sansa and Bran um, the family who's left at the end and it's amazing I mean Jon Snow stole a Stark. I don't care where his bloodline's from. He, he was raised a Stark after everything he's been through as a bastard, a multiple uh, situational bastard. Uh, but to have four Starks there at the end and them having control again was a much happier ending. But it was just how it played. You know, I, I, I've complained about the slow, place, uh, slow pace of Game of Thrones, but I actually like slow filmmaking when it's meditative and done beautifully with the music, like Hell or High Water, Wind River, you know, uh, those sorts of movies, Blade Runner. Runner and, Bla- and both Blade Runners um, and take their time with the visual world building, but it just seemed like there was many holding actions following season three because they kept pushing it, pushing it to how many seasons they could go um, and, and so forth. Um, and this was perfect. I wanted to see you know the main living characters, briefly Daenerys, but especially Jon Snow, uh, the MVP of the series. I think everyone agree. Um, you could not have the series without him, uh, Peter Dinklage. Um, um, I mean, you you could have even found ways to kill Khaleesi earlier, um, or, or or Sansa or Arya, um, and, and recovered from that with new characters or bringing you know smaller characters to the fore. I don't think you could have gone beginning to end without Peter Dinklage, and he's definitely the Shakespearean narrator narrator at points during the episode where he's not exactly breaking the fourth wall, um, but he is sort of commenting on the state of everything, and that's when Bran's just sitting there listening to him 
him pontificate philosophically, which he does great, sober and drunk, but now that he's totally sober and by necessity through depressing and horrible events has his mind straight, even though he feels as confused and unhappy as ever, for now, um, he knows that this is the guy that has to run the kingdom because that's what the hand does. Um, and that's often how it is in fantasy. And so while I got the, you know, the dark killing of Khaleesi that everyone saw coming, that even I saw coming, I think, for for a while now um, because she's mad Targaryen blood. Her father was insane, caused all these problems. Her brother was insane. And so she's insane too, especially with her dragons and all the power. And, and But the thing about dragons is, is they're loyal to their masters and they are bonded to certain masters, but they also have a certain neutrality <laughs> the way the Bendu and some of the sort of gray force creatures like the Bendu, like Maz Kanata, even Ahsoka at times in Star Wars, who are in the middle, you know, who mostly are against the the full evil dark side but also don't embrace you know the jedi bureaucracy and just want the force to work like the dao as smoothly as possible let things happen the way they should um you know so you you had the killing of khaleesi you had the amazing dragon stuff and then you had the postscript and you think for someone who has watched a little of the last couple seasons i would have been like man i only got half an episode but doesn't matter because i wanted the postscript and i knew all the major players there to various levels but definitely all the major players i knew um again with the remaining starks and peter dinklage as as Tyrion lannister um and uh and so forth and so i really love how it ended it shows that the double d's do have a heart and one and a happy ending after all these this horribleness and that they would be rebuilt um and now you could do, certainly do plenty of series set far in the past like the previous winter is coming which is what every few hundred years years every few thousand years or jump to the future um when winter comes again or there's a new threat and and i would be fine with that as long as they take a different tone but again the the last 45 minutes um you know cleanup duty of this episode showed so much heart and there was more just there was more just uncynical heart honesty and real humor um in the last like 40 minutes than in entire seasons that i remember of game of thrones especially after the first two when it went from taking itself pretty seriously to taking itself extremely too seriously and so i'm very excited for weiss and benioff to jump on the star wars train i know kit harrington as Jon snow is a huge star wars fan they're interviewing richard madden for a major marvel role but maybe he'll end up in star wars we've already had Millie clark Gwendolyn Christie, who had a very small, not verbal, but a very touching bit of recording the history, which was a direct nod at the end, obviously, to Frodo finishing, you know, the Lord of the Rings uh, book that was started uh, by Uncle Bilbo uh, with there and back again. And and he saves the last chapter for, for Sam to close it out. And so this, you know, this is a direct mirror um, of Lord of the Lord of the Rings that, that you quote unquote realize at the very end that you're reading a book written by people at the time and that's makes it both more um uh it makes it both more legitimate i guess it it makes it more legendary as well mythic you don't know what's true or what's not but you also wouldn't know that if it was written much later so the fact that it was written at the time you're at least getting the perspective of you know bilbo frodo and sam in that case and uh in this case um 
Brienne of Tarth and whoever else had, had kept the had kept the journals, and that's what we read as the Game of Thrones. Now the question for the readers that I don't care is: he, is he ever going to write books six, seven, eight, whatever? George R. R. Martin? I don't think so. Um, he basically gave up after five, four, and five, according to the hardcore readers, weren't even that good. So he shifted to the series, which I thought was smart because of how successful and what a sensation it was. And while I'm still very disturbed by a lot of what went on in the series, I, I do recognize his professionalism. It did set a new bar. Um, um, for cable television um, slash streaming services uh, like Netflix and so forth, um, I don't think you have to have so much, you know, violence, rape, and nudity to achieve such a dark, you know, uh, story. Um, but uh, nevertheless, uh, they ended. They ended great. They ended great. And as someone who always felt, uh, you know, felt connected to characters like Khaleesi and the Starks and Tyrion, I mean, I, I couldn't have asked for any, anything better um, and, and I think Khaleesi had to go super dark over the edge but she, Mila Clark's such a brilliant actress that she just played it on her face and in some commands but she wasn't going full uh, you know Nazi she wasn't she wasn't reading her lines the way um uh, don't know Gleason as Hux does at the Force Awakens, where he's like a r- even angrier, you know, Hitler getting ready for Star Killer base and the the destruction of all the free people of the galaxy and so forth. She did it very subtly, but in a very scary way. And I love that you were getting these complicated portrayals of her because she could be a straight up good guy. And like I said, her betrayer, uh, uh, plotting character Kira and Solo could have been dislikable, but because of her smile and and her deep down affection for Solo even though she thought slash knew they could never be together she's always rooting for him and so proud of him each time he bucks authority to do what he thinks is right um, eventually it's going to traumatize him and that's why he's so paranoid about Leia and insecure about it so that works out great she's just so dimensional so I want to give a huge um, and actually I asked um uh, Simi a, f- a few weeks ago before some of this went down about Game of Thrones maybe towards the beginning of season 8 which has obviously been divisive but you can watch other videos or, or podcasts listen to podcasts about that I said you know is Khaleesi it, let's put it this way through 8 seasons are Khaleesi and Dinklage anywhere from 50 to 80 percent of the glue that holds this whole crazy thing up after so many years and so many waiting periods and so much so many breaks and so forth that felt unnatural and he of course threw in Cersei uh, may she rest in peace the evil queen Lena Headey spectacular we've already got Dinklage and Mar uh, in the MCU we also have had him in X-Men I would love to have him in Star Wars uh, we've had Amelia in Star Wars maybe we'll get her if we get more solo content like on TV TV or something or a future sequel or just an underworld thing i mean she could very well be alive during the mandalorian um john favreau show uh, which is not only not aired yet but they've already renewed it for a second season because of how much lucasfilm and disney loves it uh so we could see kira there um, and, you know, obviously Captain Phasma was, was a huge disaster, but she was still a fan favorite because of Gwendolyn Christie and she just looks cool and she can fight when they give her the chance. Um, and so keep stealing the Game of Thrones people to Star Wars. You know, Ryan Johnson is, was known as a super dark director. And while there were parts of Last Jedi that were very dark, um, not just in terms of the events of good guys dying, but the, the psychological, um, hopelessness and mist, um, and, and uh, misdirected um, uh, passions and so forth. It, it was ultimately a very upbeat, uh, positive tale at the end. And I think 
Lord of the Rings guys are going to nail that as well. So, okay, with music here, it's about 45 minutes. Not too bad. Thank you for joining me. Um, if you made it this long, once again, you know, I, I never want to hate on, or shit on things that other people love. I have criticized Game of Thrones over the past few years on and off. I would have done it more, but I get flamed by the... My, my, all of my friends are Hardcore Thrones fans. I have a blind spot for it, which is fine because I have a blind spot for Star Wars. I get it. Um, they're fanboying, even if it's the only thing they fanboy and it's fantasy even if it's the only fantasy that they watch mostly having to do with rape and the treatment of women but the women who play the roles are extremely strong in real life and play extremely strong women good and bad and otherwise and you know the while there have been famous people like Jessica Chastain and Ava DuVernay and other, um, you know, female actresses and feminists and so forth who have, you know, c- complained or been upset about the things I've complained and been upset about, you know, Lena Headey, Amelia Clark and, and, and Maisie Williams, who plays uh, Arya so amazingly. And Sophie Turner, who was awesome as Sansa Stark, a very complicated, subtle character. You know, they they embraced it, it fully. And I'm I'm not quite cynical enough with these actors and actresses to say it was just about the money and the fame and so they went along with the company line there was clearly much uh, discussion and explanation to the actors and actresses about motivations and why they needed to be naked here and be raped there that's another podcast but i will say again as someone who probably has watched uh, 60% of the episodes in the series have, you know, uh, watched parts of or glanced at another 10 to 20% and then watched this final episode. I found it very satisfying. So let me know what you think about the Game of Thrones finale. I'm so ready to move on and for people to find their next obsession. I hope this leads to more love of fantasy, dark or otherwise. I'm not sure that's the case, but with Lord of the Rings and, um, you know, being bought for like a trillion dollars by Amazon for a long-term series which is going to take place like in the second age which is like a thousand years before the lord of the rings it's gonna be awesome uh like gandalf will be alive but aragorn and all them won't be uh it's the original battle against sauron that we see at the very beginning of fellowship of the ring should be great and now the dark materials you know phil pullman i never got super into the golden compass and dark materials but man casting daphne keen aka laura aka x23 from logan as your lead female is absolutely genius and with McAvoy being his his nutso self as a good guy bad guy who knows um, I, I'm quite excited about that so you know hopefully this is a nice dip for fantasy we don't have to go grim dark all the time but hopefully it's not Lord of the Rings and Harry Potter reboots as well so let me know what you guys think uh, thank you so much um, and I'm going to uh, just as I brought you in with Erox's um, amazing cover of the Game of Thrones theme I'm going to take you out with the reigns of Castamere, also by Erox. So, um, winter is no longer coming for now, but the force is still around us, and may the force be with you. I will check in with you guys soon. You guys have been awesome. I've been the Bizzle, but for now, the Bizzlecast is out. <laughs>